Hello, and welcome to the Doctors Washington Podcast. On this episode of The Plug, we will discuss the bane in every medical student's existence, the dreaded step one. Not unlike other gatekeeper-style standardized tests, this test creates a significant amount of anxiety, but there are some tips that can help you along the way. The United States Medical Licensing Examinations, or USMLE, comes in three parts or steps. Step one, two, and three. Prior to COVID, step two was a written and an oral, but the oral portion has since been removed. Today's episode will cover the details of step one only. Check back for upcoming episodes on the details of step two and three. So let's get started. Dr. Jasmine, you have the most recent experience with taking step one. Can you tell us how you remember feeling prior to this exam? So yeah, I remember feeling really anxious and nervous about the test in general because, um, you know, it's that first, like you mentioned, gatekeeper exam that you get to once you, um, like once you're in medical school. So it was just a huge amount of worry and stress just knowing that, hey, this is the first test of many that I would take in the course of my career. I remember thinking about how many different ways I could be tested on all the material that I learned over the previous two years to help me with studying. I remember using resources like UWorld and first aid study books to kind of guide my studying. And at my medical school, um, we had a block of time set out about six weeks set aside after completing our second year lectures to study for the test. And so I made a study plan to cover everything in the first aid book, as well as go through all the UWorld questions so that I felt relatively confident, like in the amount of material that was covered on the test before the test day came. Dr. Latayan, do you remember how long it took you to prepare for step one? Well, my experience with step one has been many, many, many years ago, but I remember studying for the exam um, over about a six to eight week period. And like you, Dr. Jasmine, I remember using a lot of those same um, study tools, the first aid book, um, different question banks. I think there was like a Kaplan Q bank and just I remember focusing on questions And even though I had six to eight weeks to study for the exam, I still don't think that I was able to get through all of the exam questions that I had, like all of the practice questions. But overall, I remember feeling that this was a huge test. Um, And I, too, had a lot of anxiety about taking the test. And um, so really time is of the essence. You know, one of the suggestions that I would have for students is to do, like you said, Dr. Jasmine, and really plan out a study schedule and stick to it because it's all of the information that you learn in the first two years of medical school. So that's a significant amount of information. And we know that some people um, have difficulty with test taking. And I'll be very transparent here on this episode and say that, you know, when I was studying for step one, I was not successful on the first attempt. You know, I think I was just overwhelmed by the amount of information that was um, that I had to cover. 
And so, you know, that was a little disheartening and it, you know, was a little blow to my ego that I didn't pass the test on the first uh, attempt. So I will say that even on the second attempt of my preparing for step one, I still did also take about six to eight weeks to study as well. Um, So Dr. Kimberly, you know, there are some medical students who have difficulty with test taking. They have test anxiety. I know I've talked about it and Dr. Jasmine as well. Some people also have difficulty with concentration when they take very long examinations. Tell us about some of the services um, that are available at local medical schools for, for these students. And I know at University of Tennessee in particular, since that was the school you attended. Sure. Yeah. At University of Tennessee, there was an entire office that was set up to um, assist students who had any sort of test taking anxieties or difficulty with standardized testing. Um, They had several services, including um, some um, they sort of as far as I understand, they sort of started out with examining your ability to take exams um, prior to a major exam like step one. Um, And a lot of the students who use those services identified themselves coming in because they knew already that they had test taking uh, difficulties, particularly that's one of those things that comes to light, maybe not so much with ACT or SAT, but it comes to light by the time you take MCAT. And so if it's something that you could potentially have trouble with, then seek out at your medical school. services or departments that deal with that sort of thing so that they can help you along the way. Um, A lot of those students were given the option to have a bit longer time to take their exams, um, their um, every month exams that we would have or every two week exams we would have um, or what we call block exams at the time. And so they were given longer periods of time in order to take those exams. Um, These are all things that fit into um, having additional accommodations provided when they took the USMLE Step 1 and others. And so this is one of those things that you should definitely seek out at your university. And I feel like University of Tennessee really had, you know, pretty good services in order to help those students succeed. And I'll say that, and this may not be 100% true, but at least it was when I was in medical school, Um, that med school is not like um, law school. You know, law school, you know, getting in is your first hurdle, but the biggest hurdle is staying in. In medical school, your biggest hurdle is getting in. So once you're in, um, the school really has a vested interest in keeping you there and graduating you. And so they have a lot of services to help make sure that you are as successful as you can possibly be in medical school. So definitely seek those things out without any concern of feeling that people will judge you or whatnot, these particular um, these particular services are there in order to help you. So certainly use them. Dr. Jasmine, um, can you tell us a little bit about some of the accommodations that are provided by USMLE for students who have specific um, needs for accommodations? You can find some more information about this on usmle.org um, for further details, but just kind of a broad overview. Um, There are specific guidelines outlined on the website for additional accommodations for those who need special conditions for test taking, but it is a process that goes along with it. 
So um, the process involves an explanation of your condition uh, that would cause you to need a special accommodation. This process um, involves the explanation of your condition that would cause you to need special accommodations with test taking, as well as supporting documentation that uh, also basically suggests that that this would be something that would be required in order for uh, you to take um, take testing. Um, there are other specific things that they request that you send in with your application, essentially to justify that you need these special accommodations. And so if it's something that you think that you'll need, check out the website for um, specific details, because I think there are specific things that they require, depending on what kind of special accommodations you need. This information that you send in will be reviewed and uh, your request will be about your request will be evaluated um, by MBME and then you'll be notified if your request was accepted or denied. Um, they do have information that says that you may be required to submit extra information to further give details about your condition or the reason why you need accommodations. Um, there's also a process for reconsideration of your request if for some reason the application was denied on your first attempt. So um, if this is something that applies to you, definitely don't ignore this option because it can make a difference in uh, how successful you are in your test taking in uh, these kinds of settings. Thanks for that information, Dr. Jasmine, about just special test accommodations. In order to be eligible for USMLE Step 1, you must be officially enrolled in or a graduate of a United States or Canadian medical school leading to an MD or a DO degree. You can also be enrolled in or a graduate of a medical school outside of the United States or Canada that's listed on the World Directory of Medical Schools. A listing of those schools can be found on the USMLE website. If you're in a United States or Canadian medical school, your school will provide you with information regarding registering for the test as well as scheduling your exam day. So Dr. Kim, in your preparation for the test, did you use a test bank and what was your experience with that? Would you recommend it? Absolutely. There is no reason why you shouldn't use a test bank when you're preparing for this exam. They found in previous studies of medical students in particular that your score is directly related to the number of questions that you complete in your test bank. The more you see these questions, the more you're prepared for taking the exams. And so definitely use the question banks. In particular, the way that some people recommend you use them is to do a certain number of questions each week as you're getting closer to the exam. And then look through not only the ones that you got right to look at the answer explanations, but look also at the ones that you got wrong and understand why each answer was each answer that was incorrect was incorrect and why why the answer that was correct was correct. And so use that in order to study with as well. Um, there's a lot of medical schools who have changed, who have adjusted their um, teaching technique um, in response to the way that these uh, exams are, are made, in which they make uh, their curriculum more uh, systems-based, uh, as opposed to um, any other prior used technique. This can be helpful, and you can use your, um, your test bank throughout the first year to year and a half as you're going through medical school in order to prepare 
just be prepared for the costs that's associated with them. Um, and so this might be something that you need to save up for or include as part of your budgeting when you are signing up for student loans for medical school. I mean, each one of these test banks can run anywhere between three to $600, depending on how long you have access to it. But I would absolutely recommend that you use a test bank. I use a test bank um, and I can't remember exactly which one it was because it's been like, I'm not even going to say how long ago, but <laughs> um, it's been a while. And so I'm not, I can't remember exactly the name of the test bank, but um, it was definitely helpful. And I wish I was able to get through even more of the questions similar to Dr. Latanya. I don't remember um, actually completing the entire test bank. And I wish that I had uh, because I maybe could have scored higher um, on the step one if I had. Dr. Jasmine, any recommendations on what to do after the test? What did you do immediately after, like to decompress? So, yeah, I think that's very important when uh, you're when, after you take a test of this caliber. So after the test, make sure that you have something planned as a treat to yourself because you just spent weeks preparing for this huge exam. And, you know, with all the anxiety and worry and stress that comes with it, you need something to kind of decompress. And really, you should celebrate because it's an accomplishment that you were focused and dedicated enough to really get through, uh, you know, weeks long experience where you're focused on a task and, and got it done, regardless of what the score ends up telling you at the, you know, uh, some weeks later. I remember that uh, me and a friend went on a vacation to celebrate. So that was just something I just wanted to, you know, have a getaway and just, you know, go. So um, even if you don't go on like a trip or something, definitely do something that you enjoy to celebrate that accomplishment and to take your mind off wondering how you did on the test. Um, this is really important, too, because I don't think we've mentioned it here, but the test results aren't released for a few weeks after taking the test. So it's really important to kind of move on with life and, you know, enjoy yourself instead of uh, worrying about what the test score, what the uh, score will be once you receive it, because that could be, you know, you could transform something that could be, you know, weeks of kind of enjoying yourself and celebrating an accomplishment as opposed to weeks of stressing out and that, and it won't really change the outcome of the test. Dr. Latanya, so how long does it take to get the test results back? Uh, and then what happens if you don't pass the exam? So as you mentioned, Dr. Jasmine, it really does take um, several weeks for you to get the test results back. It's really about four weeks. They use that time to to score the test. You know, from my understanding, if there are a number of, of students who got one question wrong, they may throw that question out or what have you. So they really grade it kind of on the curve. Um, so about four weeks to get those test results. And then if you don't pass the examination, then, of course, you're notified that you are not successful. And it really depends on your medical institution as far as what the next steps are. For some medical schools, um, you know, you would be into your clinical clerkships and they may take you off clerkships until you're able to be successful and pass the step one exam. Some of the medical clerkships, they will allow you to continue on your uh, clerkships, but then you have to pass the step one exam by a certain date. Uh, unfortunately, if you're not successful in taking the examination, you do have to pay to take it again, which is one of the major disadvantages. And then also um, 
there are many states that have a certain number of times that you can attempt to take step one before you won't be eligible to take the test again. So that's also something that's really important to know. So Dr. Kim, once you know that you've passed the test, then what's next after that? So once you pass the test, hooray, be excited <laughs> and be glad that that you were successful finally with getting past the first step of a three-step system. Ideally, what you'd want to do is kind of examine how well you did on the exam. Um, I know which something we'll discuss in the next um, in the next few minutes regarding them switching to a pass fail system. Um, but if you pass it, um, then the next thing is to look forward to your clinical rotations as well as um, as well as your step two. And so you're always learning. So it's not like you get to a point where you finish one thing. And so now you can put the books down forever. Step one is only step one. There is a step two coming. And so definitely be um, considering that. But first things first is to celebrate um, the fact that you got over that one hurdle. Now, Dr. Jasmine, there's some, been some changes to USMLE step one, which I just spoke about including switching to pass-fail. Do you think this could be helpful? If so, um, why? And if not, why not? So, yeah, the change to, uh, the change to step one being pass-fail is interesting to me. I know, uh, you know, that it can be helpful in, because it removes achieving like a numeric score as a benchmark. Um, but it also kind of leaves you wondering, like, what will then become the new metric that will be um, used to evaluate students that are entering or seeking to enter into different residency um, positions. I know that step one had previously been used as more of a more or less a screening tool to help um, to help kind of narrow down, you know, applicant pools in some cont- in, in some context. In summary, I think it could be helpful for those that have test anxiety about achieving a certain number, but it, it does leave this next, qu- this bigger question of then how are you being evaluated against your peers when you're um, seeking residency positions? Dr. Latanya, now that step one is pass fail, do you think step two will become significantly more important since it is going to remain a score test, particularly for those who are considering those highly competitive specialties? I think that's a really good question. You know, step one is pass fail. So they are going to be looking at step two scores. Um, They may also be looking at your medical school transcript or your GPA if your institution is like pass, fail or honors or if you actually get letter grades. They'll also look at other things that would make you uh, a more well-rounded or a more competitive applicant. Say if you've done research, they'll be look way more heavily your letters of recommendation and things like that. So it'll really just mean that you'll have to do more um, to to make yourself a standout candidate if you're looking into going into those highly competitive specialties. Um, so that would really be my strategy and suggestions for those who have interest um, in those more competitive specialties. And then really the specialty competitiveness kind of varies per interview cycle. 
sometimes certain specialties are more competitive than others and it varies per year. Also, Dr. Latanya, I would mention as well for strategies for step two, particularly if you are applying for a highly competitive specialty in your um, application cycle, you may want to consider taking step two earlier. So normally people would take step two closer to the end of fourth year um, in order to complete it prior to starting residency. But if you are considering a highly competitive um, subspecialty or um, specialty, you may want to consider taking it in the late summer after your third year. Um, So while you're um, preparing your applications, that way they have both your pass on step one and they have your, your numbered score for step two. It's a gamble though, because when you send your USMLE step scores, to um, as part of your application for residency, it's it's one click to submit all of your USMLE scores. So you can't select that they only show that you passed step one if you don't perform uh, well on step two. So you can, if you do that, sometimes you're doing it really not knowing how you're going to do on step two. So it's somewhat of a gamble. But if you feel that you are going to do really well on step two, which, again, it is a clinical exam um, as opposed to a more basic science exam, as you can see on step one, um, which most people do much better on step two. So that is something to to look forward to Um, in that situation. It may be worth the gamble if you're going into a highly competitive specialty just to give you that little bit of a hit uh, leg up from your um, uh, peer applicants. So, um, Dr. Kimberly, we really talked about a whole lot of information about step one, and I know that this exam can be pretty daunting. Tell us about any words of encouragement that you might have for those who are going through the process. As far as encouragement, I would say that you have to remember that there are so many, uh, so many thousands and tens of thousands of people who have come through medical school prior to you who have been successful in this exam. And so is it something that you can do? Absolutely. Um, It does take some attention and it takes you being very uh, disciplined with your studying. And oftentimes this is really the first time um, some some of these uh, medical students really have to focus and study like this. You do have to remember that you are in a group of highly educated, very intelligent type A students. And so you don't have like the bell curve in medical school for medical school students is a, is a narrower curve than for the general population, meaning that most all the students want to be high achievers. And so these are the people that you're basically competing with. And like Dr. Latanya explained before, they will throw some questions out um, when a ton of people get them wrong. But you have to realize that even guessing, you're going to have a good number of people who get it right. And then you're comparing yourself against people who are extremely good test takers who really don't have to know a whole lot in order to do pretty well on these exams. And so just know that if you're a good test taker, this should be relatively straightforward. It's going to push you, but it should be relatively straightforward. If you're not a good test taker, you've got to do the work. But there's tens of thousands of people who took this exam before and passed it 
who were just as as poor test takers as you are. Didn't mean that they weren't as smart. It didn't mean that anyone is not smart enough to get through this test. If you're able to get to medical school, you can pass this test. But you do have to be um, disciplined and you have to be um, consistent with your um, te- with your question taking. Use the question banks. Get accommodations if you need it in order to put yourself in the best circumstance in order to pass. And so that will be my encouragement is that there are other people who are in much worse situations than you who made it through this exam, which means that you can do it too. And so hopefully those words of encouragement will get you through this exam on to step two and the next step in your career. With that being said, thanks for listening to this episode of the Doctors Washington's podcast. Please like, share, and repost our content. Follow our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Amazon Music to be the first to catch our weekly episodes each Wednesday. Until next time. The music on the Doctors Washington podcast is by artist Mike Burton. He's a Jackson, Mississippi native on his album, Soulful, and the track is entitled All Right. It is available on iTunes. It's gone.